All right, welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. Uh, I'm Reg, and off the bat, I apologise for my nasally sounding voice. Um, I hate the cold, and you know, here, here we are. So, Buckets, how are you, COVID. mate? Good, mate. COVID has got a hold of you. Yeah, that's right. I've got to get you are, you're almost part of that Sydney cluster. Oh, we we are now. We've got the same rules. So there you go. Come down. So we got masks and. I think I'm working at home for the next week or so, which I'm not too disappointed with. I don't mind working from home. So, Yeah, not a bad time to be doing it. That's especially sure. during the playoffs. Especially during the playoffs. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, let's dive in to conference semifinals before we um, get to the Western Conference Finals, which is obviously now two games in as of today. And obviously, um, we're recording this on Wednesday night um, after game two of the Western Conference Finals. And if anybody has not watched that game, go and watch at least the last five minutes because it's bloody <laughs> bloody good. <laughs> and it takes um, about an hour to finish. Yes, yes. So the, when I'm in the last five minutes of game clock, that'll take you about an hour to get through. So, <laughs> um, so let's go, let's start with the Western Conference semifinals um, yes. before we go across to, to the East. Um, and obviously that was uh, the Clippers uh, finishing out Utah. Um how did you see that series sort of ending up and, and what was your thoughts on, on um, I guess, the Clippers' comeback, which they've, they seem to be doing now every single round. They go down a few games, come back and you know, push it to the end. Yeah, well, we spoke on the last podcast that uh, the, there's no way they were going to come back from 0-2 again. And then they go and lose their best player in Kawhi Leonard for the last two games and they end up winning four in a row. Like For anyone that thought that they could pick NBA basketball and I always laugh at the people that bet on NBA basketball because it is you could have all the knowledge in the world and do all the research and think I've got this worked out and you'll lose all your money because I <laughs> there was no way the Clippers were going to win four in a row let alone win two without their best player and of course they go ahead and do it like it just doesn't make any sense and then you have a guy like Terrence Mann who comes oh. out and has 38 points like how does that even happen? And that's the beauty of NBA basketball or basketball in general, that you just never know what's going to happen game to game. And, you know, that's why we keep tuning back in. So my biggest takeaway is just I, I have no idea how to pick these playoffs. It's just every time I think something's going to happen, the complete opposite happens and something else surprises me. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, Paul George suddenly became you know, not, not playoff P <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like good, like good Paul George. <laughs> yes. He was just unreal. Those last few games. Um, and Donovan Mitchell kept up his ridiculously good play, but I don't know. The jazz just fell apart. Didn't they? Like I, there's nothing I could really look at and pinpoint like what it was though. Like it was just the Clippers just kept grinding out wins, grinding out wins. Um, you know, Conley came back for game seven, which I think was an interesting Interesting thing to throw him straight into the starting lineup. I think that sort of affected um, affected Utah a little bit, um, particularly because Joe was playing pretty good as a starter. Conley had a terrible game and Joe was pretty ordinary off the bench as well. Um, I mean, Donovan was sensational in that game seven again, um, which is like between the bubble and this postseason, he must be thinking, come on, like, I can't do much more. Like I think he had 39, nine and nine or something like that in um, in the game seven. But, yeah, the Clippers, man, they just keep coming. And I've, I've got to give credit to, to Ty Lue. Like, he's uh, – we, we spoke um, a lot, I think, at the end of – I can't remember if it was in the last playoffs or when it was about Doc Rivers and whether or not he's overrated as a coach, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but 
he's now obviously, which we'll get to that series in a little bit, but Doc's now out of uh, of the playoffs. Obviously, the head coach of, of Philly and here's Ty Lue um, taking the Clippers to their first ever conference finals berth, which um, I think Doc was in LA for about seven years, eight years around there. Um, and obviously could never get them there. So, um, you know, he's, he's copping it a little bit for that as well. And I think it also makes Ty Lue, um, put, puts him in a pretty good position. And obviously Ty Lue was the coach when Cleveland had their miraculous comeback. Um, so he's, he's, he's sort of, whatever team he coaches now, you just can't rule them out when, you know, when Ty's there. So I think he's been really impressive um, as a coach and keeping this team, I guess, together, which we'd always had the question mark of whether or not they could be, you know, whether or not they could remain together and work for each other and play for each other. And then, as you mentioned, Terrace, man, this is what I think you and I have said this uh, probably 10, 20, 30 times over the course of these uh, 53 odd episodes um, is how important role players are come playoffs. They really, really change a game. Um, you know, we'll get to um, today's game even, but even can't you look at a campaign in today's game, the game that he had. Um, you go back and look at Kevin Herter's game for the Atlanta in game seven. I think he had 27 or something like that. Like they're just, they're so, so valuable. When you can get a game, and, and this is why you can't let things go to a game seven. You know, you just because because anything can happen. Um, so yeah, it was. I, you and I definitely didn't pick it on the last pod, and <laughs> here we are wrong again. So <laughs> it just yeah, it's the Clippers just keep coming, and now they're down 0-2, and it's just like oh, well, you know, we'll like sort of can't rule them out now. But anyway, let's let, we'll get to that in a sec. Let's move to the conference finals on the other uh, conference semifinals on the eastern side. Um, do you want to start with Brooklyn, Milwaukee, or the Philly Atlanta? No, I think a Philly Atlanta because we will certainly spend a fair bit of time on the on the Brooklyn Miami thing. So, yeah. um, I think unfortunately for the Atlanta Philly series, the storyline is going to be more about Philadelphia losing than Atlanta winning, and for our boy Ben Simmons and also Doc Rivers. It's going to be a long summer for them because on on one side you've got your new touched on you got Ty Lue over in LA who's now taken the Clippers to the conference finals and his ability to make in-game adjustments and also trusting his entire roster um, you can see and that was part of what made him so successful in Cleveland as well is that he knew when to make adjustments and kept guys ready so that he was able to plug them in. And you see performances like a Terrence Mann who can come out and do that because he keeps all these guys engaged and ready and then has the trust to put them out there in those situations, which is what's been a huge criticism of Doc, that he doesn't make in-game and in-series adjustments. He has a very short roster, normally only playing seven or eight guys, and he continually loses series when they're in commanding positions or when they're supposedly the better team, which has happened here. So it's going to be tough for, for Doc, but I think it's going to be even tougher for Ben in terms of this summer and all the news that's going to surround him and his inability to shoot free throws and his unwillingness to shoot jump shots. But that's my initial thoughts on that series. Um, unfortunately for Trey, who had a tremendous series in Atlanta as a whole, the storylines are all going to be coming out of the Philadelphia side of the equation. Oh, absolutely. If you look at any any of the, the sports talk shows, it's 
where's Ben Simmons getting traded? Is should Doc go? There's nothing about Atlanta, like absolutely nothing. Other than people say, yeah, no, they played really well, you know, but it's, let's go back to the, I think because nobody saw this coming. Like even, even if Philly weren't at their best, people were still like, you know, they're going to take care of Atlanta. Um, and the, I don't know, that might've played into Atlanta's like psyche and mindset that we got nothing to lose. Like no one believes in us, you know? Um, whereas yeah, poor old Philly just, they just, um, yeah, we, I think we said at the start of the season, is is Doc the man to take them one step further? And the answer this season is no, you know? And poor Ben is just copping it left, right and centre. Um, already talk about him not playing for Australian Olympics, although that hasn't been um, verified as yet. Changing his shooting hand from left to right because he does 90% of things in his life right-handed, apparently. Um, will, will he be traded? Where will he be traded? What's his value? Like, it's just... Yeah, it's rough. It's really, really rough. Um, not a good time to be Ben Simmons. And then Stephen A on first take, I can't remember if it was this morning or yesterday, just put a bomb out there saying that he got text a text message from a source very, very close to Ben, um, which says he doesn't listen, he doesn't work hard, um, and he's got he's got a very close circle around him, but they're all family and they baby him. And that was seriously what the text he got. So it's like, wow, like... You know, whether or not it's true, who knows? But it's it's yeah, it's just getting worse and worse for him, and it's going to be a bloody long off season. Um, and See, in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, they don't let things go. Like they're pretty crazy in Philly, so they're gonna. They were saying trade Ben Simmons late in Game Seven, like chanting it. So it's yeah. I find that hard to believe in terms of the doesn't work hard side of things, because how can you be a premier? First team, all defensive, runner-up defensive player of the year, three-time all-star as, a, what is he, 22 or 23? Yep. And don't yeah, you, yeah. yeah, maybe, okay, maybe they're saying, okay, he doesn't work on the things you think he should work on. So maybe he's not in the gym taking a 1,000 shots. I find it hard to believe that he can be the player he is in the league that the NBA is if he doesn't work hard. Yeah. So I think that that's a bit hard to believe. And look, to be honest, if I was in his position, I would keep a close circle too, because you, you can see that how quickly the media can, can flip on you. So you want to keep people close to you that have your best interests at heart and um, things of that nature. So, yeah, I'm not sure how true though that, that text is or, or how out of context it might be because there's no way he doesn't work hard to be the player he is. A question for you though, do you think he needs to develop a jump shot to be effective in this league? Or do you think he's so talented in other areas that they just need to get the right pieces around him and the right game plan around him for him to flourish? I would say a bit of both. Um, he needs like a 10, 15 footer. That's what he needs. Like he needs a, a mid range jumper. Um, and he's taken less and less mid range shots. If you go through his, his career, um, in the NBA, um, obviously threes, he, I think he's taken maybe five in his career. I don't really know, but I, I can't imagine it's very high. Um, but he needs some sort of mid range jumper just to keep defenses honest. Um, but on the flip side, I also think maybe the situation in Philly with that roster and, you know, Joel Embiid and that just doesn't work for him. And that's uh, uh, so many people 
don't understand that opportunity and who's around you and everything in the NBA is massive. Like it's so, so massive um, that it really, really depends. Like that can really make you look from an ordinary player um, to a great player or vice versa. It's just the opportunity. Who's around you? Do they play through you or do they play through someone else? Um, and they pretty much play through Joel Embiid as much as possible, which I don't think is the wrong thing to do because Joel's a beast. Um, but I think it's a little bit of both, but I don't know. I just, I just can't see in this day and age that you can't have some sort of jumper that you can take and, and hit on a consistent enough basis that the defenses don't just sit below the free throw line and be like, come on, you know, let's see what you can do. And the second to that, you've got to improve your free throw shooting. Like you just, yeah, I don't care if you go underarm, like just find a way to shoot better. Like, you know, I reckon going underarm, he'd probably shoot a better clip than 38% or whatever he was for this, for this um, uh, playoffs because you, you, you're unplayable down the stretch and you got a max player, three-time all-star. I think he's two-time all de- defense, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. You, yeah. You've got to be able to play a guy like that down the stretch. Otherwise it's just like, he's a regular season player and, I know he doesn't want to just be a regular season player. And we certainly as Aussies don't want him to be just a regular season player. Um, and that's so many people say if he had a jump shot, he's LeBron James, but he doesn't have a jump shot. So then he's therefore he's not even close. Or somebody had a good point today and they said he's a six eleven Jason kid, just, just without a jump shot. And I was like, I don't mind that, that comparison either. So, but for me, it's a little bit of both, but he definitely needs some sort of offensive weapon that he can go to. What what do you reckon? Do you reckon he needs he he can survive without it? So I think I think the free throw one's the big one. That's where he needs to start because you and I both know you playing the game of basketball. How and James Harden is it is an expert at it. How tactically the free throw and being able to draw fouls can make you a, a much more effective player. Because when things aren't necessarily going right for you in the natural flow of the game, being able to draw fouls and get yourself to the free throw line makes you so much more effective in all types of games. And that's that's what he needs. He needs to be able to play the game knowing if I get fouled or they foul me, that I'm going to go to the line and be effective and hurt them on the scoreboard. Because... That to me was the biggest problem. Is he and, and LeBron gets criticised for it too. Some people think he runs from the free throw line, like that play that keeps getting shown on loop. He just needs to go up and dunk that and not be afraid that if they grab both my arms and I can't dunk it, I'm going to be able to go to the free throw line and consistently be able to hit, you know, seventy to eighty percent of my free throws. Yep. I think that would change the whole perspective on Ben Simmons. Yep. You know, even if he didn't have a 15 footer or a three point jump shot, just being able to go to the free throw line is going to make his life so much easier and opposition's life so much harder. So I think that's where it needs to start. But as we know, the free throw line is so much more mental than any sort of, you know, whether he changes from his left hand or his right hand. It's such a mental thing. And we're seeing guys like LeBron, guys like Russell Westbrook, even Carl Malone back in the day. Tremendous basketball players that when it gets to the free throw line, you've got to stand there and hit it. It's all mental. It's the same as goal kicking in footy. It's it's more mental than just being able to, you know, rise up and shoot it. Yeah. Yep. So for me, that's where where I would if I was Ben Simmons, I would start there. Get your free throws, get over those mental demons, 
and it will unlock so much more of his game knowing that he's, he's comfortable going to the free throw line. Um, so let's hope he does because at the moment he's, he's, he's Rajon Rondo in Boston, but he was able to develop some sort of a, a three-point shot um, and a foul shot as his career went on. So, you know, I think even if he gets to that level, being 6'11 and all his other skill set, he'll be a tremendous basketball player for the next 10 to 12 years. But it's going to be a long summer for him. He's going to have to lick his wounds and take all the criticism. Hopefully he uses that as a springboard to, you know, come back even better next year. Where, just before we move on, where do you see, um, as I said, it's not um, verified yet, but if you're Ben Simmons, are you playing for Australia or are you working on your game and not, not going to the Olympics, you know, to, to work on a more Philly NBA specific game? See, it all depends on the reason. I know the reason Bogut never used to play for Australia because it was always an insurance problem where he couldn't get his contract, his NBA contract covered. So if he got hurt, he yep. would void part of his NBA contract. So if if that's the reason, I can understand why you wouldn't. If you're you know if you're risking you know even a hundred million dollars of that two hundred and twenty three million dollar contract he has then you can't blame someone for saying, well, sorry, you know, it's like going and buying a Lamborghini, but no one will insure the car. So then you go yeah. and drive it at risk of crashing it. So if that's the reason, you know, that sucks for Australia, but I get it. If it's just because he wants to work on his game, no, I want him playing for Australia. You can work on your game. There's no better place to do it than working with Australia, working in that system, playing games, being in game-like situations, as well as representing your country and giving our, our country the best chance at getting its first medal at the Olympic Games. Selfish view from a fan's perspective, but I don't think you need to sacrifice one to work on your game as another. You can do those together. Yeah, well said. I think, I think I, the first point is, I think, pretty clear. If, if, um, if it's an insurance thing, like uh, fair enough, I think is all all we can say when it comes to that. Um, but I also think to add to your second point is you've got guys like Joe Ingles and Patty Mills and these guys who I think would give you a lot of confidence that they're, they're savvy people. They're good to be around. They would really give him a lot of confidence, which I think would help him develop not just on the basketball court, but in his head because he's clearly, he was clearly in his own head too much in that series. Um, you could just see by, he just wasn't, it wasn't playing instinctively or wasn't playing, you know, the game the, the, the right way, I guess, or, or you know, using, using his, his length and his passing ability in the right way. He was just sort of all over the place. And as you say, that, that play that gets played on loop and loop is, is as clear as anything of a guy who just was not at all confident and didn't even want the slightest risk chance of, of having to go to the line. And that's, that's a worry. You know, that's a real yes. worry. Uh, but he's 23 or 22 or 24, whatever he is. So, yeah, there's time, um, but yeah, to see him in the green and gold, I think, as long as he can get his contract insured, because obviously it's worth a lot of money, <laughs> yeah. um, is would be great for him. Would be absolutely great for him. All right, let's. Anything else on that series before we move on? I mean, we haven't touched on on Atlanta much either, but I guess that's there's not much to say there other than they're, they're sorry, well Atlanta. Well, well done to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Good that's, stuff. That's right. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, we've covered them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Um, I think after the last or on the last pod, they were just coming into Game Five, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, w- we both sort of put the pressure on KD to 
not necessarily have to win the series, given um, at that stage Harden and Kyrie were both out. Uh, but he just had he had to show up, you know. He had to carry the load. He had to, you know, really, really step up to the plate. Um, what did you make of his game five uh, first, and then uh, game six and seven after that? Yeah. So this really this is what ticks me off about Kevin Durant, and this is why I was so angry when he decided to leave Oklahoma and go to Golden State because. This is what he's capable of. Game five is what a guy like Kevin Durant is capable of. But for the three years that he was in Golden State, we never got to see that because he never had to go that far into his bag. He always had so much help there that he could basically be in cruise control 90% of the time and then just go up a couple of levels when he needed to. Whereas this was the first time in probably five years where it's been all on him and he's had to shoulder the whole load and he's capable of doing it. So we get to see greatness. We get to witness all-time historic performances like Game 5. So that's it's so annoying that we missed a good portion of his prime while he was in cruise control in Golden State because this is the stuff that makes watching all those bad games of NBA basketball for games like this, to see a game five of historic proportion. Um, it's it's the greatest game I've seen from Kevin Durant in his career. Uh, it was just, and, you know, people were sort of saying, you know, Milwaukee had a chance if Giannis doesn't fumble that ball at the end. But I was watching the game live and I'm like, even if he doesn't fumble that, if he gets that and dunks it, KD was going to come down and hit another shot. Once he hit that three-pointer with 53 seconds to go at the end of the shot clock, you knew this was a game they were never going to lose. No matter what was going to happen, KD was just going to hit whatever shot he needed to for them to win that game of basketball. So it was brilliant to watch, but frustrating to see that we missed three years of that while he was bumming around in Golden State. Um, so that was game five. What were your thoughts on game five? Yeah, I echo everything you said. It's the best game I've seen from KD. Uh, he was he was on another planet. Um, but I tend to agree that where is this? Where's this been? Where you don't know what's what's going on. And it, it's, you're probably right. It probably is just because he was in a situation where he didn't have to be like this in order for them to win championships. But when people when people say you know. KD's arguably the greatest player in the game today, for example. That that KD, yes. But there's plenty of other KDs I've seen that make me question that. You know what I mean? Like that that guy could not be stopped, no matter what. As you say, if if Giannis scores, KD's hitting the game winner. I don't care if it's from Blake three-quarter court, he's hitting the game winner. Like he was just in that in that zone. Um and it was fine. It was almost like to me, it was almost like finally. Like finally. Yes. This is what we've been waiting to see. And, you know, the world's going crazy. And it was a, a, you know, an awesome game. Dudes were leaving it all on the court. Um, and it was like, finally, finally, here we go. Um, and then, yeah, what did you think, I guess? Of, oh, what do you think about James Harden coming back and playing on 1.2 legs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I guess he had to do it. He, he knows his body. I've had many a hamstring injury. And it's one of those things that you can't overextend it. So he obviously had it taped up to the nines um, under his shorts there so that he couldn't extend the leg 
far enough to do any more damage. Um, and you could just see in the way he played, he, he, he couldn't explode off because as soon as you try to explode and stretch it out, you're going to strain it and tear the hamstring again. So he obviously went out there thinking that he was going to be able to make a difference and it, at the very least be um, a distraction on the offensive side of the ball where they had to put a good defender on him and they couldn't leave him and um, put more pressure on Kevin Durant. Um, I think he was effective in game. I think his most effective game was probably game six, um, even though they lost that game. Um, certainly in game five, he was very much a non-factor um, outside of maybe giving Durant a bit of um, ease of pressure by a defender having to stay on him. Um, he, we know he's never been a factor on defense, so that's, that's never a drama on that side. Um, but game seven... Again, it was the James Harden of old. In terms of, yes, we know he was limited from injury, so I didn't expect him to be able to, you know, um, pound the ball and, and do step backs and side steps and Euro steps and things like that. Travels. Like we're, yeah, travels. <laughs> like we're accustomed to seeing, he was still able to get to the free throw line a number of times, but he was two of 12 on wide, on either open or wide open shots. Your hamstring doesn't affect that. Yeah, that's just missing shots, which it's not a one-off for him. If you look at his record in elimination games in the playoffs, his percentage, I think, is somewhere around the low 30s, if not high 20s, for a guy who's supposedly one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen and a three-time scoring champion. It was, again, elimination James Harden doesn't quite show up when he needs to. Yeah, I completely agree. I've got nothing, nothing to add there. What did you think about Game 7 then, when it was all, all came down to Game 7? Yeah, so this is, again, this is what you love seeing from Kevin Durant and what, and what we missed. It was another historic performance. But I'm going to have to put on my LeBron James hat here and say that he lost. So as good as he was, and he was amazing for four quarters, 48 points, what would we say, two centimetres away from closing out the series? Like I was watching that game and I watching it live, my head went in my hands when he hit that shot because I thought it was done. And then I was watching it with my partner who said, oh, it's it's 109-109. And I'm like, so I looked up and saw the score. I thought, oh, that's weird. They've counted as a two. And then saw the replay. Like I, when he hit that shot, I thought, and you knew, you, you almost knew watching the game when it was a two-point game. And the play was happening. I'm like, he's going to take a three. He's going to hit it. He's going yep. to hit this three. And then the spin move. And I'm like, PJ Tucker's no way he can contest this. And it went in. I'm like, oh, that's it. That's done. Milwaukee's out. But then it goes to overtime. And you have to call it what it is. He got fatigued. He got tired. He went 0 for 6. He had a play one-on-one against Giannis with a minute 20 to go. Giannis backed him down, backed him down, hits a turnaround hook shot in the lane, puts a, ties the game, and then Chris Middleton comes down, hits a jump shot, and they were the only two shots that Milwaukee hit all over time. Um, Brooklyn only hit one, which was a Bruce Brown um, loose ball layup. So, you know, if you're going to put him up there as the best player in the world – LeBron gets killed for losing the 2015 finals after he did a similar thing for three games, but then got fatigued. Kevin Durant only had to do it for three games and he did it game five. He almost did it in game seven, but he didn't close it out. So you have to, you have to say that 
you know, if you're going to put him up against LeBron, you have to, it has to be the same standards. And if LeBron had done that and then gone 0 of 6, like the 51 8 and 8 in game one of the 2018 finals, they all talk about, well, what did he do in overtime? He scored two points and they lose the game, you know, and this Milwaukee team isn't anywhere near as good as that Golden State team. So he just, he fatigued out. You can't do that as a superstar if you're trying to compete with LeBron because they're the standards we hold him to. So historic four quarters, very poor overtime. And, uh, you know, you have to say Giannis was the best player out there for the five quarters of the game. So four quarters plus the overtime because he managed to get that late bucket. Mm-hmm. Even though Milwaukee really should have closed it out in regulation. You know, all Giannis just has to secure that rebound with I think it was um, 40 seconds to go. They're up four. Brooklyn misses a shot. He needs to get the rebound, but it gets knocked out of his hands, off his foot, which then KD oh, comes yeah. and hits another jumper to make him down too because Durant had missed his last two shots coming into that. So it was a missed Durant jump shot. Giannis just needs to secure that rebound and it's game over. So I was thinking dumb basketball is going to get him beat too because you've got the Brook Lopez play where there's two seconds on the shot clock and he tries to pass it to Chris Middleton. So it looked like dumb basketball was going to get him beat. But luckily for us, Kevin Durant wears a big shoe and uh, they managed (laughs) to get out. So... Um, yeah, what was your thoughts on Game Seven? Yeah, look, another another cracking game. I, I love seeing um, people compete with absolutely everything they've got in them. I think between KD, Middleton, and Giannis, they would have played nearly the full game. I think KD play, did play the full game. Chris yes, Middleton might have played, or just about. Giannis wouldn't have been yeah, too far did. behind. Yep. Um, you, you, these, yeah, the, the the best players on on both teams just leaving it all out there. Um, is is one thing you wanted to see um, on the on the Milwaukee side? I saw a lot of growth compared to previous uh, playoff series. In that, I sort of got the same feeling that um, you know when we talk about KD was always going to win Game Five for Brooklyn. I sort of had the same feeling for Milwaukee in that Game Seven. I just felt like they just keep coming. You know, Brooklyn might have gone on a little run, but Milwaukee just kept. They were just sort of more consistent throughout the game that I felt like it's coming down the wire. I felt really good about Milwaukee's chances. Now, obviously, KD hit that ridiculous turnaround. And it's like, shit, you know, <laughs> here we go. Um, but even when it, went, when it went to overtime, it's like, you know, are you, are you disappointed that, you know, you as you talk about, you had the opportunity to go up. You were up for the opportunity to go up six or seven um, with about 30-odd seconds to go, say. Um, but the, the ball goes out off, off uh, Giannis's foot and then KD hits a shot. So, it sort of was a bit like all the momentum was in Brooklyn's favor going into the, into the overtime, but Milwaukee just came back out again and, and again, kept punching, kept executing. Um, you know, KD shots were, were falling short. He was fatigued. I sort of, in my head, I'm kind of going like, this is, this is uh, like KD's game. This is like Jordan in 98 game six, but he found a way to get to the free throw line and things like that because his shot wasn't falling. Whereas KD just kept taking these mid-range fadeaways and they were just short and short and short again. Um, and then obviously his last three with, um, I think it would have been Drew Holiday on him. He's yes, fast. it was. Well, see, Drew said, I just scared me to death because it was online <laughs> when he yeah. turned around. But then obviously it was an air ball. So it was like sort of anticlimactic in the end. <laughs> but I agree with you. And that's why I guess I wanted to ask you, is, is, this, a, like, is this a failure for Brooklyn? 
or is it a that Milwaukee were just better or is it both? So I think it's it's hard to call it a failure when you lose your two best. Or yeah, we know Harden played the last three games, but when you lose Kyrie to injury and then um, you didn't have Harden for the first four games and then he was limited in the last three, it's hard to call it a failure when that kind of thing happens. Um, so I won't say that. I will say that if... As I said before, if you're going to try to give KD the title as the best player on the planet, you have to hold him to the same standards you hold the former best player on the planet. And if that was him in the same situation, no one would be crowning LeBron. They would be still, where they'd be saying, well, he's not the best player on the planet anymore. KD is because he lost a game seven. Plus, they were up 0 2 or 2 0, whichever way you want to look at it. So they did blow a 2 0 lead. So I wouldn't call it a failure just because of the injuries. Um, certainly a disappointment. Um, certainly there's levels to the greatness between, and I hope people will start to appreciate just what LeBron has been able to do in similar circumstances when he's been up against it. Because a lot of people forget that Dwayne Wade struggled a lot with his knees during their playoff runs in Miami. And we know Chris Bosh missed a chunk of time during the 2012 um, championship run. He didn't come back until game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals in that run. So, you know, and we know what happened in 2015 and we know the squad he took in 2018. So I think there'll be more appreciation to what LeBron's been able to do under duress and be able to carry teams through adversity when he does lose his, um, you know, his partners in crime, if you will. But then also you get, we got a glimpse into just how good Kevin Durant can be if he's required to be that. And unfortunately, if Brooklyn's healthy again next year, he's not going to have to do it again because he's going to have Kyrie and Harden there. So again, he's going to be able to be in cruise control. So it's just a shame that, you know, we only get small glimpses into those historic performances that a guy like Kevin Durant is capable of doing. So, but I just wanted to touch on Giannis in terms of his game seven, in terms of his mental toughness, because he's has had his struggles at the free throw line in during these playoffs and particularly in this series, but the difference between him and we spoke about Ben Simmons is in that game seven, he just willed himself to take shots and to make shots. So he wasn't going to die wondering. So he took it. He did end up taking six threes. He did hit two of them. One was a bank, um, but he wasn't taking them to bail them out. He was taking them with confidence. And in then the when he went the to the front, that's it. And yep. in, in terms of his free throws, he started off okay. I think he hit his first three of four, but then he missed a couple and then airballed one. And you could just see the crowd, they were counting out his long routine, which they, their counts got to about 12 or 13 each time, which should be a violation. I don't know why the refs <laughs> didn't call it because every single time they were getting to 12. Um, but a lesser man would have airballed that, heard the crowd, and it would have been very difficult to come back from that. But he ended up hitting five of six after that airball, and he ended up eight of 14 um, for the game. So that shows a lot of growth, a lot of mental toughness to be able to do that. And then, as I said, in that overtime when no one could score, Bruce Brown, was he scored in the, on the first possession of the overtime, and then there wasn't another bucket until a minute 20 to go when Giannis hits that turnaround. So at the end of the game, after playing 50-plus minutes, to go one-on-one with Kevin Durant, that's money time. 
that's that's as we say when you make your money he was able to get the shot to fall get him tied and then Chris Middleton closes it out so huge growth and, and mental toughness from a guy like Giannis which was great to see yeah completely agree and I even think uh, Chris Middleton who started the series pretty slowly ended it really really strongly as well didn't didn't probably shoot the ball the best I don't think he had a great shooting night in game seven but no timely baskets you know timely yes. shots um, and again was was picking up uh, KD, you know, when um, when Tucker got fouled out, I think that was game seven. Um, yes. You know, he was, he was up in his grill trying to make it difficult for him. So, and again, playing every single minute of the game. So it's, yeah, it's at that level to be able to do that um, is pretty, pretty impressive. Um, and a massive, massive step for Milwaukee um, compared to previous seasons where they've been a little bit shaky. And we've, been, we've talked about this on this podcast many times about what they need to do. And now here they are in the Eastern Conference Finals um, up against an Atlanta team, which they're going to be heavily favoured against, just like Philly were. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think, I think they're, uh, as, as you mentioned at the start of the, um, the playoffs, that they're, they've, had, they've gone through the pain. And now, you know, this is, this is their time. It, it may very well be. That's right. And this is where we spoke about analytics last pod. These these are the games where analytics goes out the window oh. because both how much Chris better Middleton, is it? How much better 100%, is it? Like... You know, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday both were having terrible shooting nights, but in the fourth quarter, they were able to will shots in. They weren't pretty, but they were able to get them to fall. And the only thing I can put that down to is putting the work in outside of the game so that you have the confidence to still take those shots in the fourth quarter because the guys that don't put in the work, they shrink. So if they're having a poor, if they're on fire, yeah, they'll fire anything up in the fourth quarter. But the ones that put in the work every single day and don't cheat the work, even if they're having their worst shooting night, still have the confidence to shoot those shots and make them in fourth quarters because they trust the work they've put in. So Drew Holiday hit five shots for the entire game, but he hit a three and a step back two-pointer in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter that kept Milwaukee in touch. And that comes down to doing the work. And analytics will never tell you that. It'll never tell you a guy is mentally tough and puts in the work so that even on his worst night, he's still able to make timely shots when his team needs it most. Adelinks won't tell you that, and neither will people who just check box scores and think they know the game. Yep. Because they would have seen his, what was he, like 5 for 20 or 5 for 21? 5 for 23. There yep. you go, 5 for 23. Like, you're not going to look at that and go, oh, gee, Giroud was good, but yet he hit two of the biggest shots in the game. So it's yes. like, you know, that's when the eye test is still undefeated. You know what yes. I mean? Like when it comes down to it, what, do you, what you see when you're watching the game, um, it's, it's way, way more important, I guess, than, um, than analytics or box scores or anything like that. And even things like screens and that don't show up in box scores and they can be massive plays. Charges, you know, things like that can all change a game, flip a game on its head um, and they don't show up in analytics. I think analytics is like a real regular season thing. Yes. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, let's see how many threes we can take and make because that's the best shot and, you know, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it, it does annoy me because A, a because I'm old school in that way that we, yeah. grew, we grew up with our analytics. Um, and B, that so many people use it to try to argue against you on things. And it's just like, what's the point? Like, you know, yeah. 
And because regular season, you're playing different teams every other day. Yeah. So you're not really drilling down, you know, and, you know, you're playing teams, you know, you might be on the road for three, four, five games in a row, traveling in and out of cities. So, you know, you have off games and games where you just mail it in, you're not up to it. The playoffs, you drill down, especially when you get to games five, six, and seven. Like, you know everyone's sets. You know everyone's tendencies. That's when you're drilling down, and that's where the other stuff really comes into. The analytics is, is not so much important. It's, okay, have you done the work? Have you done your homework? How's your scouting report? Are you missing defensive assignments? All that sort of stuff. That's when it comes into play. Yep, completely agree. Um, let's move on to West Conference Finals. We're two games in. Phoenix have a 2-0 lead. Uh, Booker goes nuts in game one, gets his first career triple-double. Um, and then obviously the last five minutes of today's game were about as crazy as, as, <laughs> and as wild as you can get, including the final play, which was basically a shot from Jay Crowder that uh, was touched on the way going in by eight and then and there's game. So what have you made of, of the conference finals in the West thus far? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I said a couple of pods ago that, the new generation is coming and they're very much all announcing themselves these playoffs. You know, Trey Young's right there, Donovan Mitchell's right there, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, like all these guys are just announcing themselves as they're going to run the league for the next 10 years. And every single game, it seems that Devin Booker is enhancing his reputation more and more. To have your first career triple-double in game one of your first Western Conference Finals is big time. You know, there's, if you, as we say, you want to play your best basketball when it matters most, and Devin Booker is absolutely doing that. So, if they are able to get out of this and get to the NBA finals, I think regardless of what happens in the NBA finals, he then becomes top of that, that next wave of players, even ahead of a guy like Luka Doncic, um, just because he's only been able to get to the first round. Yep. So, um, and that's not to say Luka won't streak past him, but at the moment, Devin Booker is just getting better and better. And I think you have to look at someone like a Chris Paul being able to have that experience that Luca doesn't have in Dallas so that when he's in these positions like a Western Conference Finals, he's had someone that's been around the league for a long time, been in a lot of playoff series, been in a lot of situations to give Devin that uh, confidence and that experience to know, okay, this is what it's going to be like. So he's ready as soon as that opportunity is there to take it. Yeah, completely agree. I think that the thing that's impressed me the most about Devin Booker is actually on the defensive end. Um, because he sort of has a bit of, or has had a bit of a reputation of a good stats, bad team guy. I think a few pods ago I spoke about when he dropped that 70 or whatever it was in, in Boston, yes. I think it was. And I was sort of turned off by him. I was like, oh, this dude just doesn't care. Um, but you watch him go out there and compete in these games and, and really work on the defensive. It's like he's just saving himself for the offensive and he's working on the defensive end. That puts you in a different category because there's plenty of guys in the league who can get buckets, um, but um, they're, they're not there in the conference finals, you know, because they don't have that other element of the game. Um, and I think, I think we spoke about this last part, but I just love the way that Phoenix is put together. Like they've got, they've got everything you need, you know, for a, like a traditional basketball team, I guess. Um, and he didn't have a massive game today, although he, he just didn't shoot the ball well, but he played pretty well. But he's, he's, he's really, really impressed me probably the most out of anybody in these playoffs. Um, 
And I sort of, I want him to be on the big stage, on the biggest stage now, just to see him take it, you know, to that next, that next level. Um, so that was, that, that was game one. Obviously they win. What did you make of today's crazy game? Oh, today it just had everything, didn't it? You know, we've got <laughs> bro- a broken nose uh, by the looks of things for Devin Booker, a split head for Patrick Beverly, and then uh, the last five minutes was just back and forth. And I actually felt good. Like, I, I've really enjoyed the way Paul George has been able to step up in the absence of Kawhi. I think it's changed the perspective for a lot of people on him, including myself, um, because you never want to see guys continually getting crushed and, and I guess coming up short when they're expected not to. So it's nice to see him stepping up and it looked like he was going to be the hero today. You know, hit a couple of really big shots late, hit a big three and then hit a big jump shot. But it's basketball is a cruel game. You know, we spoke about game seven that Kevin Durant was two centimeters away from having one of the greatest serious comebacks in NBA history, one of the greatest clutch shots ever uh, to finish a game seven with a with a three point game winner. It would have been forever etched in history. And he was two centimetres away from being able to do that. And then they lose and they go home and everyone's going to talk about Brooklyn not making it to the conference finals. Unfortunately for Paul George, no matter what he did today, to go up and miss two free throws and then lose the game on the buzzer, that's going to be tough to come back from. And for him, he'd done so much in those two games at the end of the Utah series and then the two games this series and now it's all going to be coming back to he can't handle the pressure, he choked, pandemic P, all that sort of stuff. It's Basketball is a cruel game. It certainly is. It certainly is. I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we might see Kawhi Leonard back uh, at some point because they've sort of said that he's day-to-day now, whether or not that's day-to-day at full strength or day-to-day and just been out of play a bit like James Harden did in the – in the um, the series against Milwaukee. So that'll be interesting to see how that impacts it. But again, you're right. They were so close to stealing one today on the road and then obviously heading back home. Um, one player I did want to give a shout for, I spoke about him earlier and it pains me to say this because he was once on the Chicago Bulls and was absolute trash. <laughs> but campaign has been like a little X factor for that Phoenix team. And again, I think Chris Paul has a massive influence in that. Um, and you know, I'm all for a guy who I guess gets his opportunity, doesn't take the most of it. He's out of the league. I, th- I can't remember if he was playing in China or somewhere like that. Gets another opportunity, and now here he is, you know, in the in the conference finals on a well-oiled machine, um, making plays. And he was massive down the stretch. He did so many of those floaty left-handed layups, you know, where you just sort of put it high off the backboard and just do it softly enough that it drops in. Um, but he was he was massive, and obviously Aiton got him a, a nice block. Um, no, sorry, not Aiton. Um, Zubach got him a nice block late, but aside from that, he was uh, he was big time and, and really helped them again. Like we spoke about with Terrence Mann in the other series and Kevin Herder in, in Game Seven against for Atlanta against Philly. You just love to see these other guys stepping up um, in these big moments and making big plays. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of love for Chris Paul in that organization. I was listening to the press conferences and they were talking to campaign today and and you know he's just saying, look, I'm just holding it down until C gets back. You know, he he's our he's our floor general, he's our leader. Um, he's been so good for all of us. And they talk about 
and, and Cam said it a couple of times, both about Devin Booker, the fact that he was willing to set a screen for um, yes. DeAndre Ayton in that last play um, rather than trying to hit the game with himself. Um, so he spoke about him, how Chris Paul and Devin Booker are obviously the stars of this team, but they're willing to sacrifice and willing to pass knowledge on and teach the other guys on the roster so that they can be stars in their role, which not necessarily everyone in the league is prepared to do when they want to get their own shine. So he spoke about that a number of times that Chris Paul, a guy that's been in the league for so long, just wants to see his teammates be better and see them be successful and how much that means to these younger guys that are trying to learn the game and make their own name for themselves in the NBA. So there's a lot of love in that franchise and you can see it's paying dividends with someone like Cam Payne and on a step straight in with the absence of Chris Paul and have a game like he did today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on that, on that last play, I was listening to a, um, a interview um, or a discussion with JJ Redick before I came on here. And he was talking about how many people are saying it was offensive goaltending, but he's like from an inbounds pass, there's no such thing. Yes. Um, so was, you could basically shoot the ball in the ring. As long as someone touches it before it goes in, it counts. Because I reckon that was close to going in, even if Aiden didn't yeah. get, his, get his big mitts on it. But uh, he then spoke about how perfect, A, that pass needs to be. Secondly, the timing needs to be. like it's Because someone said, why don't teams do that more often? He's like, because it's not easy. That's why. Yes. Um, but he was, he, he couldn't, what he couldn't believe was that they didn't switch. They didn't have a, uh, five players on the court in that situation who can switch every screen. Because he basically said, rule of thumb, less than a second to go inbound in the ball, get five players on the court who can just switch everything because then at least you're not going to worry, get worried about anybody caught up on a screen, you know, and what happens? Big fella gets caught up on a, on a great screen by Booker who's obviously undersized and the rest is just, you know, hope the pass is on point. It was eight and touches it, you know, ball game. And he actually, I think it was 0.9 of a second and they still was 0.7 of a second, Afterwards, so it just goes yes. to show how quickly he just put his little hands on it yeah. and you know guided it through the ring, and they only took point two of a second off. So it's crazy. And that's just that's that's such smart coaching to get a guy like Devin Booker to set the screen. Yeah, because Wouldn't Devin be Booker said it. himself, he's like, they're not going to leave me. They're all expecting me to get the ball and shoot. So then I'm going to go on screen. My player's not going to leave me. So someone's going to get stuck. And it's very similar to the play I talked about last year when um, AD hit that three. And I said, LeBron's not looking for the ball here. His position, there's only one spot he was able to get the ball, and that was to throw it over the back of him, which is exactly where AD ran to. So two guys ran to LeBron thinking he's going to get the ball, which leaves AD open for a three-pointer. So that's smart coaching to think, okay, everyone's expecting Devin Booker to get this shot. Devin Booker's probably expecting the play to be called for him, but he's willing to say, okay, now that's actually smart. I'll sacrifice my game, set the pick, knowing that's going to be the best chance for my teammate to be successful. And it worked perfectly. His man did not leave him, which opened up DA to get that tip in. Yeah. Another example of where Book's mindset has changed from being about himself to you know trying to win. And when a guy who's that talented... Make flips that switch, it can they you know things can change for them for the better very very quickly, very quickly. Um, that actually moves on to our a good mailbag question which we got, and the mailbag question is: Is Devin Booker the closest thing to Kobe Bryant in the league today? Do you know the, oh, it's hard, isn't it? So 
I mean, I think Tatum's up there. Yeah, he's he's the other one that springs to mind just in terms of size. And it's funny that these guys that have both worked with Kobe before he passed. Um, you know, he did those detail yep. videos on on Tatum, so it makes sense that they've both got a lot of similarities because they worked with him. Similar to why everyone's saying Donovan Mitchell is D Wade with a jump shot, it just happens that D Wade's working with him. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it just comes with the territory. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily like to. I like comparing players in terms of accolades and achievements and what they're able to do for organizations and teams. But in, I never really like comparing guys like style for style to say, well, he's like most like Kobe. Like I think I like to appreciate the player for what they are. Like he's Donovan Mitchell, he's Devin Booker, he's Jason Tatum. And they do things that Kobe and that used to do, but they're not trying to just be carbon copies, which I think yeah. hurt Kobe in the end in terms of he was a carbon copy of Jordan when, you know, he probably could have just been Kobe Bryant and still been a historic great player. So I think, yeah, you're probably splitting hairs between Devin Booker and, and Jason Tatum in terms of the closest to Kobe Bryant. But I think it's important just to appreciate the greatness that they're both coming up with themselves and what they individually bring um, their own flavor to the game. Yeah, and everybody, I think everybody who plays the game at any level steals bits from somebody. No, yes. no one is inventing anything new in the game today. Well, Jokic is one for a three-pointer. <laughs> I guess that could be could be, could be new, but <laughs> most of the other guys are stealing stuff from other players. Well, not stealing it, but, you know, copying what they did. So yes. there's always going to be an element of, of some sort of, well, that used to be the move that so-and-so did or blah, blah. But then there's the Jordan and Kobe and these guys watched players before them and took things from them. So yes. it's, it's like a constantly evolving thing um so yeah I, I i when the question came in i was like yeah i, I know what they're, they're trying to you know get the comparison stuff going and that's you know that's the world we live in <laughs> but for me i was like oh tatum book like you know so i think i'll just go straight down the middle and say i'm sitting on the fence on that one you could go either way <laughs> yes definitely so but uh it looks like um i said that if Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard don't win a championship this year, they'll never win another one. So unfortunately for Kevin Durant, I think he's missed his opportunity. Obviously they're out and Kawhi is up against it, obviously being down 2-0 and not sure if he's going to get back. So the, the it's a changing of the guard um, and it's going to be very difficult for LeBron to come back next year unless they uh, stay fully healthy this new wave of players, they're, they're taking over and they're unapologetic about it too. They're just coming yeah. and, and taking it. They're not asking for permission. And it's awesome. Like uh, we spoke about it, I think I can't remember the last part of the one before about how all those quote unquote superstars are gone or, or now they are in the fact that, that KD's out. It's awesome to see these, these other guys battling out because the title is just up for grabs. Like there's no one really who's in the box seat even you know, where you could, you could see sort of I mean, maybe Milwaukee now, I guess, but you could see any, any of these teams, um, you know, really taking it, you know, and that's, that's something that's the beauty of these playoffs is they're sort of, it's been an unusual year with COVID and protocols and all that sort of stuff. And now obviously Chris Paul's in them, um, that it's an, an unusual result sort of seems fitting. <laughs> yes. Who, who is your, who is your favorite? I'd be Milwaukee now. 
Yeah. Yep. I think you're looking really good with your Milwaukee Gallon all the way in the east. Obviously not the Lakers because they're, they're long gone. <laughs> yes. but, um, yep. and 50 I'm, I'm out on both sides with Lakers and Philly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I, Milwaukee. I really like the I really like the way they've been going about it, as we spoke about in that Brooklyn series. They were really, really impressive. But I think it's theirs now for, for the taking. Yeah, I think they're the one team that has that already bona fide superstar in Giannis. Um, in saying that, if they don't get the job done, I think that's springboard. So say, for instance, Phoenix gets through, I think that springboard someone like a Donovan Mitchell into that superstar category above someone like Giannis. Because right now he's he's been there, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year. So by rights, as we always say, generally the team with the most superstars and the most star power generally gets the job done in postseason. Yep. So it's theirs for the taking. But if they end up falling to either Trey Young or, or Donovan Mitchell Phoenix team, um, I think they then springboard into that and Giannis probably drops out. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. It's yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Eastern Conference Finals goes. Um, they're obviously a couple of games behind. Do they start tomorrow or the tomorrow? Next day? Yes. Tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow. Yep. yep. All right. So was there a day day for day for a while now, which will be very exciting. Yeah, it's good. We had a day's break. Was it yesterday? And it was horrible. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. like no one likes that. No, not at all. Not at all. Did you want to touch on the NBA lottery? Chicago uh, not, not, not really. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I will say is Detroit, again, they got the number one pick and this fellow by the name of Cade Cunningham is like the unanimous number one selection across the boards. Yep. Um, Luka Doncic is his like comp, NBA okay. comp. Um, so obviously not a bad comparison to have. Yes. So Detroit got very lucky there to get him. Uh, the Bulls had to get a top four pick, which they had a 20.3% chance of getting. Um, otherwise, it gets, gets goes to uh, Orlando as part of the Vooch trade. Um, and we were slotted at number eight, and they pulled up our card at number eight. So I turned uh. it off after that and was, <laughs> was depressed for a couple of hours and then got into the game. So <laughs> uh, we're going to have to work our magic through the trade and uh, through the um, free agency and, and trades and that to see if we can improve it all. But yeah, another day in the life of a Bulls fans. <laughs> uh, fair enough. <laughs> all right, awesome. Anything else from you? Otherwise, we'll we'll come back in and... We might even do another one this weekend and pump a couple out this week. Sounds good. Let's go Bucks. <laughs>